Ever wonder what psychologist moms talk about when we get together? Whether we're consulting one another about a challenging case or one of our own kids, or just leaning on each other when parenting feels hard, because trust me, even when we do this for a living, it's still hard. Joining me each week in these special Thursday shows are two of my closest friends, both moms, both psychologists. They're the people I call when I need a sounding board. These are our unfiltered answers to your parenting questions. We're letting you in on the conversations the three of us usually have behind closed doors. This is Securely Attached, Beyond the Sessions. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Sessions. Let's dive right in. I received this question from a listener who writes, Hi, Dr. Bren. What do you think of sleepovers? Is there an age when you'd start letting your kids spend the night at a friend's house? My daughter is eight and her friend from school just invited her to her first sleepover. I keep seeing people on Instagram saying not to allow kids to do this anymore and now I'm feeling a bit freaked out. What would you do if this was your kid? Okay, so I'm sure we're going to have a lot to say about this, but before we do, I just wanted to remind you, if you are enjoying the show, I would love so much for you to follow, rate, or review this podcast. I love seeing your feedback. It makes such a big difference in helping more people like you find this information and parent with attunement, compassion, and trust for our kids and for ourselves. So I really appreciate when you write a review. I read every one of them. Joining me again today to answer this question are psychologist moms, Dr. Emily Upshur, the co-founder of our group practice, Upshur Ben Psychology Group, and Dr. Rebecca Hirschberg. So Rebecca, what do you think of this question? How do you handle this with your kids? Or how do you help parents that you're working with handle it with their kids? For me, honestly, it's a it's a complicated issue in part because it's so individual. You know, there's so much nuance here and, and there's so many factors at play. I know there's a whole movement that says you need to ask before your child even goes to someone's house after school, a whole set of questions in order to feel safe. Here's what I was just thinking. Like I, my kids have sleepovers all the time. They have sleepovers typically with families that we know and like, because that's kind of how we've been lucky enough. So we're like integrated into this community and it feels like there's no question we would ask that we don't already kind of have a gut check for. I do think it's potentially different for families who are part of sort of communities that they don't feel integrated in. And culturally, maybe they're a little bit outside of what, you know, when they move to a new place or whatever, and suddenly their kids want to have sleep. Like, I almost feel like it's a little bit about sort of what is your profile as a family? If your kid has a close friend group that they've had since they're five, no one's having these conversations. Yeah. I don't think. I, I mean, I, I would say like, I, I similarly, Rebecca, like I think that we, the, the sort of like guideline that I, mindful guideline that I have for sleepovers are, do I know the family? So I think that came up in the question. I think that's a valid mm-hmm. question. Like, you know, like if your kid gets invited to a, a sleepover party at a classmate's house and you don't know the family, that's very different than planning a sleepover with a family friend that you guys know each other and have a lot of repertoire with each other. I think that's very, very different. I do tend to ask, um, but not all the time, if the parents are going to be home. Because sometimes parents will allow their kids to have sleepovers and they'll have a babysitter that night. And that's, you know, like I, in the beginning, especially when my kids were younger and they were doing this, I kind of wanted to know that it was the parents there. 
um, who are sort of like- I feel like that wouldn't even occur to me to ask, but I think part of that is, again, because I know these families, like the both the friend sleepovers and the sleepover parties that Henry's gone to, and party is like six or seven kids, not like 20, you know, everybody's texting each other pictures of it. Like, well, like we're all kind of in, you know, like, it's like, I don't ask if they're going to be home because I just assume, of course, they're going to be home. And now, and maybe that's part of the issue. Like, maybe that's interesting because if they, if I found out the next day from my son, like actually they went out for dinner, I'd be like, oh, I guess from now on, I'm going to ask. Like, so part of it is like, you know, what are you willing to, I mean, that's a question that I think the reason I haven't asked is because it just wouldn't occur to me in a million years. And it sounds like it happened to your kids. But other questions about what are your family's rules about bodily safety, even if I didn't know a family, like I'm just trying to think, Henry, let's say gets an invitation to a slumber party. I would, I think I would reach out to the family. Yes. And just talk to the family and just get like a gut check on the family. I don't think I would ask any formal questions. Although yes, the research would suggest that formal questions about bodily safety, formal questions about firearms, formal, you know, that like those are all recommended. Right. I but knowing those formal questions is important, even if you choose not to ask them, because there's the it increases the chance that you're doing some internal mental arithmetic, right? Like, I may not be asking explicitly, what is your body safety plan and how do you respect body safety rules in your house? But if I know what those questions are and I know to sort of be internally assessing I might be looking for those answers in other ways, like asking, who's going to be there? And if someone says, oh, well, my uncle's staying with us, so he'll be around, then you could say, oh, well, how do you handle, you know, who's going to be watching the kids and are there going to be closed doors, open doors? I just think, I think, I think, Rebecca, you're right, though. Those are questions, Sarah, that I would never Ask. Like even even that maybe who's going to be, you but then I must ask like why not? Why would you never ask that? It I would say like developmentally at the age. So I my I will say my six year old has done sleepovers, but my older children are somewhere between nine and thirteen years old. They are organizing their social lives more than I am. Right? They are making their own relationships. They are the ones that are initiating some of this. And that independence is part of what you see as you, you know, mature in the, this parenting journey. And so you do have to have these, I'm not saying some of, I think those are all obviously legitimate questions. I'm just, I just think that it's just very, it's, it's a, it's a conversation that brings things to a different level. I just don't know if that's something that's. Sure. But my, then my question would be. When your children first started, right? Obviously, your 13-year-old, if they're going on a sleepover this weekend, it wouldn't be their first sleepover, right? They started at a younger age, presumably, in which case you probably did have, if not explicit questions, certain thoughts that you were kind of thinking in your mind to assess for safety. And then as your children get more accustomed to sleepovers, learn the, the drill, get better at problem solving, should they start to feel uncomfortable, they can, you kind of understand and trust that they have a plan for getting in touch with you or to talk to you about it, that you can perhaps, you know, by the time they are 13 and have been on like years of sleepovers, you're not asking those questions anymore because you've kind of helped your child learn how to kind of be safe on sleepovers on their own or, or know what to do if they didn't feel safe. Whereas for the first time parent who's thinking about, okay, when is my child ready to have a sleepover? 
if I think that they're developmental ready to, developmentally ready to have a sleepover, how do I decide how to introduce that in a way that feels safe to me and good to them? Then you might be thinking about those questions, perhaps, um, whether or not you explicitly ask them. That was just a thought, you know? If there's anything, I mean, I hope this is stating the obvious. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking those questions. Sure. Nor, And it's not that I don't ask them because I'm somehow embarrassed or ashamed. You know, people say like, oh, I just would be embarrassed to ask if there's a gun. Like, I, I don't, that's not it. It just, again, I have a relationship with these people generally, but it's also like, if that's what you need to feel, like I, so much of these are individual decisions. Like I don't need that to feel safe. Mm-hmm. I need sort of what my, and I couldn't even quantify it probably. Like I need my general gut check in a conversation with a parent in order to feel safe. If you need the explicit information to feel safe, then absolutely have those conversations. I think it also comes back to sort of what the age old thing is, which is like the only way to be a hundred percent certain that your child is safe is not to let them do it. Like, and then, so it's about risk tolerance. You know, it's also the only way to absolutely guarantee they won't be hit by a car is not to let them leave the house. Like, you know, and so Mm -hmm. there might be, and again, especially what you said, Sarah, earlier, which is that like, you know, a lot of times people who are, you know, unsafe for kids present themselves as really safe for kids. And so then someone might say to me, well, how do you trust your gut? If someone is like a skill, it's like, you're absolutely right. Like chances are, if there is a skilled pedophile out there who is the father of a classmate of my son, I might not know it until it's too late. And that Mm -hmm. is terrifying. And I don't see myself completely changing my parenting habits and style because of that possibility. And for someone else, someone who has a trauma history, abuse, like what, like I could absolutely see that equation tilting in another direction and that's, and that's okay. And I will just one last thing, what want to kind of highlight what Emily said, which is so much for me is about teaching my child what to pick up on and what to make sure you always feel comfortable telling a grown up pretty early on because my son started walking around. We live in the suburbs that, you know, he had a, uh, one of those watches where like he doesn't have a phone, but it's a watch that just has a couple people programmed in. So like I could trust that he could get in touch with me. Now, again, if there's some really skilled person who's like, all the watches are going in this bucket for the night, like again, terrifying, but not necessarily something that's going to make me forbid my kid from having sleepovers. And that's a personal that's a personal equation that you weigh. And I think that's a really good point. But I also think it's, it's like, just to touch, to further expand that. I think it's not so binary, right? It's like, we do all these things in the hope that it'll shake it up enough for it not to be a risk. Right. So like Sarah, to your question to me earlier, I might not ask those things, but I also probably started sleepovers with people. I like to Rebecca's point, people I sort of knew and I gut checked and I sort of felt okay about. Right. Maybe we had some commonalities. Maybe we have some common language. But I also talk to my kids about body safety at home. And I also allow them to talk to the grownups around and tell them to express themselves. And, you know, those are things that I think you put all these things into the mix and that creates a safer environment, if that makes sense. Like, it's not just do I send my kid to a sleepover and they get abused or do I keep them at home? and they're fine, right? There's a lot of other pieces that can go into contributing to something that feels safer. But I totally agree with Rebecca, like everybody has a different risk tolerance. 
right? And I think it's about checking in with yourself, feeling what that is, you know, even maybe potentially experimenting with it a little bit to try to see if you can stretch it. Um, and I think that that's an important piece of this. Yeah. And I think another thing to consider when you're weighing all this, obviously, like Rebecca, you were talking about how, you know, it's our own history and our own experiences and our own anxiety and our own risk tolerance level is going to, going to have a big factor in what we do and don't allow in our family or what we feel comfortable stretching ourselves to try. But I also think we should consider what are the benefits of sleepovers, right? Because there are a lot of benefits, uh, that may factor into the weight of the risks, right? Like, yeah, it's a big, it's a big opportunity to develop sort of social skills, intimacy in in peer relationships. Um, and also like to practice separating and individuating from the family. And I think thinking about your child's developmental stage is a big part of that equation, but there's a lot that can be, really beneficial about a sleepover. Yeah. I mean, one of the benefits that I feel like is sort of unquantifiable and, and happens in certainly other ways besides sleepovers, but I found sleepovers to be a big one is, is just this understanding that like other people are different, that like people do things differently. Like not everybody keeps their cereal in the same place. Like even something so minor as that, you know, like our kids are developing out of egocentrism and we're always talking about kind of appreciating differences and noticing differences, but like, you know, some people's houses are bigger than mine. Some people's houses are smaller than mine. Like some people's, you know, parent jokes about this thing that we don't joke about. Other people's parents don't joke about these things that we do joke about. Like, again, with this understanding of just an exposure to different people who do different kinds of things, which of course you get in your life through, uh, you can do that, not through sleepovers, but because sleepovers tend to encompass these everyday family activities, you know, usually it's dinner, bedtime, sleeping, morning time. It includes brushing teeth. It includes breakfast, like just to get a sense of, of how different families do things, I think can be a tremendously valuable and educational thing for our kids. I love that Rebecca. Cause I, I also think it's sort of like the intimacies, right? It's like those things that sort of are, you don't do with other people, brushing your teeth. You don't typically brush your teeth in front of other people. I think that that's, that's a great point. And the other thing I would add on to that, that I personally like for my children is there, um, this, so this is sort of the polar opposite of risk is there are other adults that can take care of you. There are other adults that can help you. And I want you to know that we are part of, you know, we are going to build within our family, this extended community of other safe people that you can go to, right? If you have these problems, even with like an intip, like, I don't know where the toothpaste is. I don't know if I, you know, I need help wiping, you know, wiping something off of my face or my bottom or something, right? Like there are other adults that can sort of, um, help you. And, and that's like, the opposite of the scary side of things, right? That's the sort of mm-hmm. nice side of that. Yeah. I also think it helps with like resilience building, right? Because especially for the younger set, right? That first couple sleepovers, it's a really, it's a, it takes a lot of, um, it really stretches their ability to tolerate being separated from what they know, their routine, their parents, that familiar space and that's uncomfortable, but it's also hopefully a positive enough experience that it allows them to like build that tolerance for discomfort in a really kind of positive way. And in doing so kind of expanding their world. 
And I think you can frame it, you know, different people probably frame it very differently depending on their kids and their families, but we're going to try this. You know, if you think there might be a little bit of a chance that it's too, you know, we're going to, we're going to try, you know, we're going to give this a shot. We can always come get you, you know, and then someone might say, well, don't come get them because that's not stretching them. And it's like, you know, your kid and you kind of, none, you don't have to decide and then stick with it or, you know, they're, what is it called now? Sleep, sleep under. I was going to say, we started with sleep unders. They love, like my kids love sleep under. Yeah. Where you do, you know, you have dinner, everybody gets in their pajamas, you watch a TV show, whatever, whatever. And then the parent comes and picks them up. You kind of do everything except go to sleep. So there's way it's again, it's not all or nothing. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, um, it can be a really nice thing to just try it or try it out and, and let's see how it goes. And then maybe next time we sleep over. And also if you're listening to this, cause I, this has happened with friends and clients too. And like, you feel like your kid, like what's the bed every night. And it would be like really embarrassing for them or your kid is like tremendously reliant on a sleep routine and it would be very distressed. Like then don't do it. Like I, again, like I, I think mm-hmm. there's a way in which sometimes these conversations get so weighty and so serious. And they go to this place of, let's say, you know, body safety or sexual abuse. And of course we have to talk about those things, mm-hmm. but it's also okay if you put those things aside and just think about much more pragmatic day-to-day concerns and sleepovers may not be right for your kids and they may be right for your kids. And I, you can decide differently next month, you know? Yeah. I think that's such an important point of like that flexibility. Like you are not signing some sort of like contract in blood that you are, that this is now the thing we do, right? You can give it a try. You can kind of model that let's wait and see attitude with your kids. And I think that helps ease some of the anxiety too. If we like put all this weight and like, this is a big deal. We're doing this big sleepover and it's going to feel really hard, but you can do it. Like, sure. That sort of supportive emotional stance of like this validating how hard it is and communicating confidence that they can cope. We love that. Right. But we don't have to have like a quote, serious talk about sleepovers with our kids and then kind of infuse it with this sort of weighty anxiety. It can just be, Hey, we're going to give it a try and we'll see how it goes. If you don't like it, we'll come pick you up, but let's just see what it's like. I think that's a great point. I think it's important to be flexible with yourself, right? Because I think there's like a, I don't do sleepovers. Our family doesn't do sleepovers, quote unquote, kind of like, is that my philosophy? And I think that it's important to be able to be a little bit flexible with yourself. Like maybe we don't do them yet, or maybe we're not doing them right now. Um, To Sarah, your point, like maybe I'll feel differently when my child is a little developmentally more mature, And I think you don't have to subscribe to sort of a philosophy about them until you sort of figure it out, you know? That's literally exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say, like, because also what happens is not only do we, like, infuse the conversations with weightiness with our kids, but we engage in these, you know, online debates, whether it's a mom's Facebook group or Instagram or TikTok, where it's like, you know, I am on team sleepovers are amazing. And I am on team sleepovers can lead to horrible. And it's like, oh my gosh, like we don't actually have to be this polarized over this. Sleepovers can serve really different purposes for really different kids at really different times, period. You know, um, it, there's a lot of other things to, to my 
in my opinion, we can sort of get really, really incensed about. And this is not one of them, particularly for someone else's Mm -hmm. kids. Yeah. Like that's the other thing is people are saying sort of like, I've heard people say, well, I, my, you know, we know that it's generally unsafe because of the rates of abuse. And so I'm not going to do it for my kid, but also we shouldn't have it be a thing so that then my kid doesn't feel left out. It's like, wait, again, there's sort of all this, like, you know, I get to decide what's right for everybody right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, I think you know, we have to watch out for that. Books, whether it's gender, whether it's it's like no, you get to decide what's right for your kid and your family. Like that's kind of it. Yeah, um, and that can feel really beautiful and relieving. <laughs> <laughs> totally, I love that. And I think like when you said that, oh, it's, there's this risk of sexual abuse. I also want to remind everybody and ourselves that like probability and possibility is something that like we talk about all the time, right? the probability of sexual abuse at a sleepover is actually very low, right? Is it possible? Sure, right? Anything's possible. Rebecca, to your point, like if I let my kid walk on the street, is it possible that they'll get hit by a car? Sure. Is it probable? Actually, not really, right? The numbers are really pretty low. So I think not getting swept up in that sort of like, yes, of course, we want to do all the safe practices and we want to instill all those values, but we also want to have our feet on the ground with the reality of these risks. Yeah. I think that's an important point. I'm also thinking like, just for like sort of nuts and bolts, let's talk a little bit about like just kind of practical things. Like at what age developmentally are most kids kind of able to handle that kind of a separation? Obviously I'm going to put a big asterisk by this one because every kid is different and you're going to have to weigh in a lot of variables that are unique to your child and your family and everything. But let's just assume you are a family who wants to try sleepovers and your child, you know, for outside of like an anxiety disorder or like a really, really challenging issues with separation or maybe bathroom issues, like you were saying, Rebecca, like if your kid really is struggling to, to, to know, stay dry overnight, like this could be kind of a vulnerable position to put them in making sure we should talk about bullying and social stuff too, but I'll put a pin in that one. But just saying we've got developmentally, we're just looking at the developmental timeline roughly when you think is a good age to start to explore this with kids. I mean, I would add 10 more different variables, not that we <laughs> honest, but, but it's also like, have they been separated from you? Do they, have they been to, you know, full day of school ever? Do they have a babysitter? Do they spend the night at grandparents' house? How, or have they, you know, like, what's their experience of separation from you? What's their birth um, order, right? Right. My, mm-hmm. my third child is going on sleepovers, you know, at a very much, I would never have considered, at, you know, so early, frankly, compared to my first child who I was a bit probably more conservative about or had less established, you know, community ties or something like that. So I think birth order is actually probably right. a big predictor as well. For the parent and the kid, right? Like, cause what you're saying, Emily, that is so true is like, we're probably more anxious about separating from our kids when they're our first kid. Cause we've never done it, but they've never done it either. And so, but when you have a six-year-old who's watched their 13 year old and 19 year old or nine year, whatever. If you've watched all these big siblings do it all the time, you are like, I want to do that too. And whereas like your first kid didn't have that modeling. So I also think our kids' exposure to sleepovers from older siblings will be a factor as well, both in their tolerance for it and their interest for it. I think Sarah, like an, an important factor in my family was like, how well does my child do without sleep? My first child, like how well does he do without sleep? 
right? Is it going to be a disaster? If he goes to the sleepover party, is it going to really unwind us for a couple of days? You know, I think I probably waited until I felt that he could tolerate a little less sleep and not be so dysregulated, you know? And, and that's just so hard to put a number on in terms of age. I would say like, if I had to, I would say anywhere between first and third grade, right? That, that, mm-hmm. that if I had to, if you like push me against a wall. Um, and the other thing that factors in to those decisions, you know, even now is like, what else do we have going on? You know, does he have a big, you know, soccer tournament tomorrow and having a sleepover might totally derail everything for that. Or, you know, so like looking into your, to your own family decisions, something I wanted to touch upon is also if you're uncomfortable with your child going to sleepover, maybe you host a sleepover for the first time at your home, right? Where you feel that you have a little bit more control over those variables. And that maybe that also, again, fluctuates with age. Like maybe you'd feel more comfortable with your eight-year-old doing that than your eight-year-old going to a sleepover outside of your home. Right. I also think there's this other piece, which again, like sort of talking about bullying and meanness that like the difference between a one-on-one sleepover and a multi-kid sleepover, like a slumber party. Um, not that we can necessarily prevent again, kind of like to their point, like we can't protect our kid from being bullied. We can't protect our kids from witnessing bullying. We can't protect our kids from bullying themselves, right? They, we can't, you know, snowplow all this stuff away from them and it does happen. And so how do we address that? Like with our children, with our own anxieties about that? I feel like we got to define bullying. Like what, like what does bullying on a sleepover look like? Like I could picture a really awful event happening that I would call bullying. I can also picture a group of kids being together and someone getting teased a little bit and that being a bummer and not bullying. And so I think the question of safety comes, you know, question of safety comes into play, question of kindness comes into play. And frankly, I don't know that preparing my child for sleepover is going to look that different from preparing them for a lot of things they do, which is sort of like we talk about the importance of being kind and kind of be, can you be aware if someone's being left out? And it's a bit, you know, it's, 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 I don't know that the, and maybe this changes when they get older. I still have young kids, but like, I don't know that the bullying of one kid and a sleepover the way you see in like movies or whatever, like, does that, does that happen? Like, is that still a thing? I don't know. Like I would imagine it can be. And obviously, like you said, Rebecca, like as parents, we can't prevent that from happening. Like I remember, I remember when I was a little kid, I was probably, I could not have been more than first grade. I was on a group sleepover at this girl's house. It was summertime. We slept in a tent in their backyard with like six other girls. And these girls were not nice to me typically in life. And I fell asleep and they poured like pixie sticks in my ears while I was sleeping. And I woke up and I was like so upset. And I, and I, you know, this was something that I could see happening now. And I, and in some ways, I don't want to like scare people, but like in some ways it's different even because the ability for kids to kind of be cruel to each other has expanded to these like online places and, you know, these text chats that exist outside of, you know, class groups of kids at school are on these sort of text chats and they can ostracize kids in that way. 
I don't think that we are safe from kids getting bullied in a way that's really potentially quite painful for kids. I also don't think that means like I would not have wanted my parents to never send me on another sleepover because that experience happened. And I had been on many, many, many subsequent sleepovers that were wonderful and enriched my relationships with those people. So it's like, we also have to kind of trust our kids to be a bit resilient and to be able to go through something painful, be able to use that information to determine like, who are your safe friends? Who are not people you want to be spending time with? And how do you process what it feels like to have something mean happen to you without making it sort of crush your spirit or your sense of your likability? Right. So I I may have misspoken or or somehow been misunderstood. Bullying is a huge issue. I I mean, full stop. Mm -hmm. I'm still not sure even with your example, although again, I'm, and I'm really sorry that happened. Both, um, we still, I don't think all of our faces were like, oh, I know, but I've, I've come, I've come a long way since that time. I'm, I'm okay with it. Look at you now, you right? even enjoy pixie sticks sometimes, right? Um, you know, but I, I, I don't. I guess I'm just looking in my mind for kind of what is distinctive about something that could happen in a sleepover. Like I'm still trying to use a right. sleepover lens. Mm-hmm. Of course, we need to talk to our kids all the time about bullying. We need to talk about being kind. We need to talk about, you know, not leaving someone out. We need to talk, like, again, these are conversations that I view as part of parenting these days. I was sort of going to a place of like, how different does that need to be heading into a sleepover scenario? I mean, yeah, I think that I would like to add like a little bit of like how you make these decisions. And Sarah, maybe it goes back to like, having these questions in your mind, whether you maybe ask them of the sleepover host or not. Right. But it's, it's a, for me, sleepovers, when I host them or when my kids are on them, I'm always thinking about like supervision. Right. Mm-hmm. So somebody in your situation, in that situation where, you know, you're outside, you're not in the house. Like there's not, you know, like there's a, there's some questions about, you know, how much supervision there is. And I think yeah. that, that doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. And that doesn't mean you can't be resilient in those situations. But I think having a sense of that, maybe that's part of the gut check that Rebecca and I keep referring to, but like, I think that that makes, that does make a difference. Um, Mm -hmm. and and that, and, and again, Rebecca, to your point, that's also just a parenting philosophy. Like if I have a play date at my house, I'm like sort of have a little bit of an ear to like, did somebody just leave somebody out? Like, do I need to like, should I hang back? How much do I need to? It sounds really quiet in there. Yeah. I think I'm going to go, you know, that sort Check of a thing. And, and also Sarah, even though you said it kind of in passing, I think it's important. You said like these were girls who weren't typically that nice to you. Yeah. So that begs the question of, again, a conversation to have with your kid before sleepover of like, where, like, again, the conversation about friendships and who friends are and what you feel like when you spend time with them and how it usually goes are all conversations to have before making a decision about a sleepover party. Um, Cause clearly that's important too. Yeah. And I do think there's a level of like, kind of like Emily, where you were saying like thinking about questions in the back of your mind, whether you ask them or not about like the adult role in things. Mm -hmm. But I also think we should have those questions in the back of our mind, whether or not we ask them explicitly about the child component of things. Like who are the kids that are going to be on the sleepover? Do I know anything about these kids? Do I know anything about the relationship my child has with these kids? Has my child ever talked about feeling kind of left out by these kids or wishing they could be friends with them? Because also sometimes a sleepover is a way to break into a group of kids where you normally don't feel like 
you're being included. Like I think group sleepovers aren't the way to do that. I think one-on-one sleepovers are often better for creating those like allyships when they're, when a child, this is another thing to sort of tangentially mention is like, I think sleepovers and playdates in general can be used as a tool to help a child who's struggling kind of to make friendships or who does feel sort of chronically sort of left out of a, a group, um, to, to start to find inroads by taking sort of as a parent looking at like, okay, of this group of kids that sort of seems to keep leaving my kid out, is there anybody in that group that is a little bit safer, that is a little bit more open and friendly and sort of has a high EQ? Can I set up a one-on-one play date or a one-on-one sleepover, you know, depending on development, whatever, with that kid so that my child can start to develop this like allyship relationship that could lead to either more, more comfort on my child's part to kind of enter into this group or more comfort for the group to allow and invite this child in because they see one member of the group doing it and modeling that. So that's another piece that I think creates a lot of benefit. And But there's like an intentionality on the part of the parent setting that up. Who is Who are the kids I'm bringing into my child's life outside of school? And how do I kind of have some intentionality around that? Well, and that's what, you know, back to your question about how old the kids need to be and all those caveats. It's like, you know, my son had his first sleepover with a kid he'd been friends with since he was 18 months and they live right up the street. And it was way younger than I would do if they lived farther away or they hadn't been friends for so long or we weren't friends with the parents. Like, you you know, that's really different from your kid comes home from school and mentions this kid you have no idea anything about. And it's like, I want to have a sleepover. Like it, it, it just, there's so many factors that determine our comfort level. Yeah. So kind of wrapping this up, you know, we've covered a lot of things, some heavier and some lighter, but I kind of, what I'm ultimately hearing is we need to kind of find that balance between explicitly advocating for our kids and asking tough questions and also being able to sort of trust our instincts, trust our child, be willing to stretch our own anxiety and perhaps even our child's dis, you know, anxiety in order to kind of develop this resilience and these opportunities for growth and relationship building and, and some of the benefits of these, op, these experiences too. Thank you so much for listening. As you can hear, parenting is not one size fits all. It's nuanced and it's complicated. So I really hope that this series where we're answering your questions it really helps you to cut through some of the noise and find out what works best for you and your unique child. If you have a burning parenting question, something you're struggling to navigate, or a topic you really want us to shed light on or share research about, we want to know. Go to drsarahbrenn.com forward slash question to send in anything that you want Rebecca, Emily, and me to answer in this new series, Securely Attached Beyond the Sessions. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash question. And check back for a brand new Securely Attached next Tuesday. And until then, don't be a stranger.